Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me. Rishus, the Rav Astra, Rav Ryan, Rabbanim, Shkail, all the Kailin light. I was walking to shul once on Rosh Hashanah, and I was accompanied by someone who lives near me, who formerly was a, a conservative rabbi, and subsequently went off the derech, and became from. <laughs> and I asked him, he's now retired, of course, and I, I asked him, who do you think's job was more difficult in Rosh Hashanah, my job, uh, or your job? And he said, hands down, there's no question my job is much more difficult. He said, your people, you speak to them all year. You have them in your pocket. <laughs> they want to hear what you have to say. And this, is, this was my only opportunity to address my tzibur. And he said, the main difficulty I had was in my message because everybody wanted to hear a timely message whereas I wanted to deliver a timeless message. And the truth is, we're in a time of Hanukkah, and current events are in a lot of turmoil at this point. The American people are becoming more and more separated, there's a rift becoming more and more powerful, fractured, split. No one seems to be listening to anybody anymore. Dialogue has completely broken down. And there's an extreme lack of respect for anybody's position, opinion. And what causes this condition? Why don't people listen to anybody anymore? And there can be the classic, you know, bad meters, haughtiness, narcissism, and stuff like that, but putting those aside, when I speak, if I have an agenda, and all that's important to me is my agenda, then I'm not going to listen to anything else. All, all that I'm interested in is my agenda. If I'm speaking to you, and I think all you're doing is pursuing an agenda, it's very hard for me to listen to you. And this condition... doesn't remain among politicians. It's permeated everywhere. And we feel it in our camps as well. We see a growing discord and lack of achdus. And it really, it can take place anywhere. And the question is, what's the source of it? And what can we do to regain that respect, that basic decency? Like I heard a speaker saying, Let, let's make decency cool again. <laughs> where, where can, how can that be rebuilt and regained? And Hanukkah gives us a key. Truth is that we Jews, people who learn Tyra, are the ultimate in main, maintaining dialogue and respect. Every single Mishnah and Shisha Sidra Mishnah contains two opinions. The one that's the majority opinion, the one that we hold of, and then the dissenting opinion. 
Beshamim Hill, so many times and so many Mishnayas. And each one is learned, each one is respected, each one is given equal time and effort, and we study it. Even though consistently we never pass in like Beshameh, almost never. And even in Hanukkah there's a disagreement between Beshameh and Beshil. Beshameh says you light 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And Beshil says you light 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, which we do. And we learn both of them and we try to understand why each one said what they said. And we say, Elu ve'elu divre'ele kim chayim, both opinions are truth, the words of God. So I want to talk about the opinion of Beishamai a little bit and see what it has to teach us. Beishamai wanted us to start with a and work our way down. Why? So the reason is because they draw a very interesting comparison. They compare it to Pareachag, the Karbanas, the sacrifices brought on Sukkot. Started at 13 bulls, day 1, then 12, then 11, then 10 all the way down till seven and essentially zero. And Basil says, no, start with one and add to it. When you're doing, practicing holiness, add to it. Start, add more, add more, more light and more light and more holiness in our lives. That's Basil's opinion. You don't go up, you don't go down. I believe it was the Chassam Seifer I saw that explains that there talking about what's the best method to deal with outside influences. Influences that the Sahara evil inclination, tries to infiltrate amongst us, from the nations, from all the unholy tumor that the nations try to transmit to us. Eshamay says, the Pare Hachag, those were those bulls brought on Sukkot. You started with 13 and you knocked it down one by one for that purpose, to diminish the effect that the nations of the world have on us. And he says that's the way you have to approach it. You have to root out the problem, look for the evil, identify it, find it, and eradicate it. And Basil says, no, that's not the approach. Focus on Kedusha. Start with a little Kedusha, add more and more and more Kedusha, and the more light you bring into your home, the other stuff will dissipate on its own. It'll disintegrate. That's what they're disagreeing about. What's the right approach to this problem? Now, historically speaking, the context that Hanukkah took place is fascinating. During the first Beis HaMikdash, The Jews did suffer from infiltration of the nations of the world. They were warned by HaKadosh Baruch Hu that it's going to be a problem, and it was. Throughout Sefer Malachim and Divrei Hayamim, you see, they were constantly looking and watching how the nations of the world served idols. Idolatry was a thing. And they mimicked them. They adopted their gods. Some kings were successful in rooting it out. Others, unfortunately, adopted it themselves. And it was an open, an open struggle throughout the whole course of bias Rishon. Idols or no idols. Idol worshippers or not idol worshippers. And that all came to an end 
with the beginning of the second Beis HaMikdash when the Anshei Knesset HaGdola abolished the whole Yetzirah, the whole even inclination for idolatry, that was not a thing anymore. That was not a struggle. But the struggle continued because now it had new roots. When they got, went through Golos Bavel, you learn Sefer Ezra and Sefer Nehemiah, it's all full of how they intermarried. They married non-Jewish women. It was a widespread problem. When they came up from Bavel back there to Israel, they came with their non-Jewish wives. Ezra talks about how he didn't realize how widespread the problem was, and he was in shock and couldn't speak all day. And they made effort after effort to change that situation. And many of the halachis and takanas of Chazal that we're familiar with were enacted at that point. Fishel Akum, Pas Akum, Givinas Akum. All these halachis which are there just for the sake of keeping that boundary between us and the nations of the world so that we don't intermarry. They were enacted then because it was a problem then. However, this weakness, once it took root, once it took hold, even though they perhaps did manage to either divorce the women or they converted them, it already left its mark. And the Shem Ishmael talks about this. And he said there was a deep non-Jewish influence that now it wasn't open, it wasn't obvious, it was very subtle. But it was an influence, and it was there, and it was starting to affect everybody. Now he expect, explains this at length, but in ra- reality it's kind of simple. We're all Jews. All the Jews of the world are all Jews. We all came from the same father. We all came out of Mitzrayim together. And we all went, lived in Eretz Yisrael. So essentially we're all Israelis. But we don't necessarily identify with Israeli culture or European Jews or Fran- French Jews or German Jews. We see a difference between us and them. We respect them. We love them. But we couldn't necessarily marry into such a family. You know, it's just not compatible. What's not compatible? It's not the Jew about us that's not compatible. It's everything else. It's all the baggage we've, we've picked up over the past 2,000 years. That's what separates us. It's the other ideologies, the other cultures, the other mannerisms in nature that has shaped and formed who we are. And that has become Jew plus. And that's where we can't get along. We say in Ma'ayus Tzur, a fascinating thing. Yivanim Nikbetsu Alai, the Yivanim, the Greeks, they gathered. In the days of the Chashmanim, of the Chashmenoim, they broke through the walls of my tower, my palace, and then they went and they were all the oil. What does it mean they broke through the walls? The Beis HaMikdash had a number of walls. The wall that we know, the Kaisel HaMaravi, was the outer wall of the Beis HaMikdash that surrounded the Harabais. Everybody was allowed as long as you had a minimal level of tahara, as long as you were properly, you made yourself ritually pure, you could go past that wall. Within that wall, there was a low fence, not a very 
secure fence. It was called a sireg. That sireg, that fence, didn't provide much security to the base. I make this, it didn't keep intruders out. That wasn't what it was intended for. It was a marker. It was there to denote, up till here, non-Jews can go. Past here, they can't. That was the whole purpose of that fence. Then there were other walls within that. In the time that the Jews were in power, if a non-Jew went past that point, it was li- he was liable for the death penalty. It was very strictly enforced. The Yavanim, the Greeks, made 13 fractures in that fence. Not because they were trying to conquer the Beis HaMikdash. That, didn't, that wasn't the fence they had to break down. That was easily accessed. They did it to send a message. They made 13 breaks in that fence to break down the separation between the cultures. Greeks and Jews are now one culture. We belong in the Beis Amikdash just as you belong there. There's no room to separate us. After that war, when the Hashemunah regained power, they mended that fence. They mended all the 13 breaks. And then they made a new halacha in the Beis HaMikdash, a new rule, a new custom. When you walked into the Beis HaMikdash, you had to bow down. Like we do fully prostrating yourself, like we do on Yom Kippur. And they said there are 13 places you need to do that, each one corresponding to where one of those fractures were. A whole new custom that didn't exist previously. 13 times you had to bow down in the Beis HaMikdash, corresponding to each one of those existing fractures. Now the number 13 is kind of interesting. You could think it's perhaps a random number, they just happened to break 13, but then Chazal wouldn't have, made, wouldn't have mentioned it, wouldn't have found it important, and wouldn't have made 13 specific times that you have to bow down. There's something special about the number 13. One day I walked into my house, my daughter was studying with a friend. I had to do some kind of project for school, I don't know what it was, and she asked me, what's the 15th one, the number 15 in the, you know, Echad Miyadeh, Shnai Miyadeh that we say on Pesach? What's 15? Does anybody know? What? There is no 15. (laughs) It ends at 13. So... I thought that was funny. Yeah, I did. So she said, okay, come on, you have to come up with a 15. So I said, the 15 Sharamalas. And then I was saying, you know, why do we stop at 13? There are numbers for everything. 14 are the number of carbonists of sheep that we bring on Sukkot, and 15 is Sharamalas. And I know everybody's thinking, you know, thank God we don't do that. We'd still be here, you know. <laughs> you could go to 600,000. <laughs> but why 13? Why do we stop at 13? The whole point of the Mi'adeas is we start with Echad. Echad hu aleikeinu shabashamayim v'aretz. We start with the absolute unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then we branch out. Two, then we say, no, Echad hu aleikeinu. Three, Echad hu aleikeinu. And we go up to 13. 13 is the maximum, so to speak, diversity that there can be in Judaism where it all connects back to Echad. It still brings you back to Echad Ho'alei Kenesha B'Shemayim I saw 
a remez from a, a sefer, uh, one of the one of the rabbis. I forgot which one. And he said, interestingly, he said, if you do one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven, etc., you add up all those numbers until thirteen. The sum is ninety-one. Ninety-one is a number you might be familiar with. It's the combination of Yudke Vavke, Hashem's name, which is 26, and Aleph Dalad Nun Yud, the other name of Hashem, which is 65. 65 and 26 is 91. So all 13 bring you back to HaKadosh Baruch. <clears throat> when you think about it, it's a very powerful point. There are 13 attributes of mercy. The Yud Gemomide Shol Rachamim. Which Hashem practices in this world, which we're meant to emulate. Those are Jewish values. That, those are the Jewish values. There are 13 ways to derive halachas from the Torah, the Yud Gimel Midash Torah, and Adreshes Behen. That's Jewish education and learning and wisdom. There are 13 brisois. 13 times the word bris, covenant, is mentioned in relation to bris mila. The Gemara says, is nichrusu all of yud gimel brises. We have 13 covenants. That's Jewish identity. They all, all boil down to one. They all bring us back to Echad. These are all different ways to approach Avodis Hashem, to approach Limer HaTayra, all 13 can be utilized to bring us back to one. The number 13 re- represents the extent that Jews can diversify, yet remain united and one with Hashem. The word Echad itself, Aleph Ches Dalet, has the numerical equivalent of 13. 13 can be Echad. If we add more, then we lose the achdus. If we practice these 13, we can achieve true achdus. Total unity. We can go on and on with these numbers. Everybody can start thinking about it, but 13 is quite a prevalent number in Judaism when you start to think about it. There are actually 13 shvatim, although we always count them as 12, but they were living in Eretz Yisrael, there were 13 shvatim. Each one had their own part of Eretz Yisrael. The Yuvanim made a very specific attack on that. They wanted to infiltrate every aspect of Jewish culture and make it, bond it with Gentile culture. They banned bris mila, which is our Jewish identity. Nichrusu alav yud gimel brisis. They wanted to water down Jewish identity. They banned limur they broke the Syreg, they broke the fence in 13 places, signifying every single way that we have to practice our heritage as Jews, our culture, our identity, our learning, and our values. Every single one of them will now have a Greek approach. I was speaking to my brother last night, it was in New York, over at Hanukkah party, and the brothers that are just above me are, are twins. And they went to yeshiva together, they went to the yeshiva of Philadelphia. And I was surprised to hear 
that initially when they went to yeshiva, they went in 11th grade, they learned Bukharusa. Very surprised to hear that. They're, very, they're, they're similar, but different. <laughs> different enough. And sure enough, he told me in the beginning when they were learning together, they couldn't stop yelling at each other. And he said, uh, you know, they would learn together and the people in Bismarck would say, oh, the Franks are at it again, you know. <laughs> they would just be screaming and yelling at each other. So eventually they stopped. And then they were in yeshiva for a while. And then towards the end of their time in yeshiva, when they're in the older grades of Bismedrish, they started learning again. And surprisingly, that wasn't the result. One would say something, and the other one would say, I hear, but maybe you could prove differently from here. And the other, I hear, and you could prove differently from here. And he said, you know, there was maturity. He said, in the beginning, we were both just transmitting. We were transmitting. We were saying our opinions, and the, we're not listening to the other person. And clearly the other person wasn't listening to us. So when you're trying to transmit and it's not going through, so when you're trying to listen to the radio and it doesn't work, you just turn it up louder and louder. And, you know, that doesn't do much to convince the other person. And then later on, they actually started listening to each other. And lo and behold, there was no need to yell. There was no need to scream. They listened. And once they listened, they appreciated And then they... Communicated. They had dialogue. When, if we truly believe, if we're having a discussion, and we truly believe that the only thing we have in mind is the MS, the only thing we have in, the, in mind is Ritzayin Hashem. Torah, true Jewish values, that's all we care about. We're going to listen to each other. Then we'll hear. We'll want to hear what you have to say. The Gemara says, Beshama and Bishil discussed a hashkafi question, not even a halachic question, a hashkafi question. Should a person have been created, yes or no? Very basic question. They talked about it for two and a half years. They didn't yell at each other. They were cutting a horse. Way before two and a half years were up. They were able to have dialogue about it for two and a half years. Talk about a long speech. <laughs> that was a long time to discuss it. But they talked and they discussed and back and forth and back and forth. That's how Beishamei and Beishil talk Tyra. That's at its best and truest form. There are 13 different approaches how to derive something in Tyra. Everybody has one or two that's unique to them. There are different values in Judaism. There are 13 different values and people excel in one and other people excel in others. There are tzaddikim, there are tahirim, there are oiskei tereseha. And they all bring us to the same place. And if we're convinced, if we believe that that's what we're really aiming for, the respect is there, the dialogue is there. The shared understanding will be there. When we sense an agenda... When we have an agenda, when there's something personal, when there's other values playing a role, all sorts of justifications come to disrespect, disregard, and ignore another's view. And then dialogue immediately disintegrates. It's an amazing thing. People who truly mean L'Shem Shemaim, and I think always of my Reish Kael, Zechariah Nelvracha, Chaim Fassman in Los Angeles, someone who only meant L'Shem Shemayim. And no matter what he said, he was listened to. 
he was listened to and respected. This is what the Greeks did to us. Ultimately, whatever discord there is amongst Jews, it comes from them. What's ever happening in the world around us, it comes from a lack of seeking the truth, just pursuing agendas. So what is there for us to do? That's what B'Shamay and B'Shamay are disagreeing about. B'Shamay says, root out the evil. Pursue it. Chase it out. Shut it out. Turn off devices that bring this stuff in our homes. Stop listening, reading, watching, streaming. Hours of non-Jewish values. Find all those subtle and not so subtle places that it's in our homes, in our culture, in our lives. This is the Pareachag approach. Knock it out one by one. Little by little. Erase it. Eradicate it. Till it's down to nothing. 13, Pareachag. It started with, and it ended by nothing. But Basil says, no, there's a different approach. Infuse holiness. Bring light. Fill up your days with Torah. Fill up your time with Shi'urim. Fill up your time with davening. With Jewish values. With things that are important to Jews. Jews devoid of anything else. Just Jews. Our culture, our heritage, our history. Stories of Gedalim. The more and more there is of that, the more it will push out everything else. A little bit of light can chase out so much of the darkness. In terms of respecting each other, having dialogue, having respectful communication, honoring other people's views and positions, the more we concentrate and focus on L'shem Shemayim, on what it is that Hashem wants, what it is that the Torah wants, the more that we can truly feel that's what we're trying to do, that's what we're aiming for, the more respect will be there immediately. Whoever it is we're communicating with will feel that. It's there. You can see it. You can feel it immediately in a conversation. This is not about yourself. And it'll be respected and reciprocated. And it'll change the whole nature of the relationship. There's a beautiful little hint, and I'll finish with this, a little hint to this. In Haneris Halalu, so in the Sefer, it says, Haneris Halalu, Kaidashem, These lights of Hanukkah, they're holy. And we don't have permission to use it. We can only look at them. And he said, is our focus. Focus on Kedusha. Focus on holiness. Keep personal agendas out of it. Don't utilize holiness for own personal use. Keep it holy. And then we can truly bring that light into our lives. And we can truly envelop our homes. And bring more and more and more light and holiness into our homes. And thereby chase out all the other influences, all the other tumma, And bring us all back together again. Reclaim our identity as Jews, only as Jews. 
And when we have that full and true unity as a cloud, as Jews, will we be zaychah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will have a place for us in Eretz Yisrael. And Mashiach Tzikainu will come and bring us back together, united. Be'ezer Hashem Yisbarach. And the Binyi Beis HaMikdash. Meheri Yameinu.